podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the Anfield Wrap on Radio City. Talk Neil Atkinson, Amelia Bonner, Gareth Robertson, Fuad Hassan with you until half past seven Liverpool. Now, a little note of caution, we are pre-recording this show. A uh, bit of it already been done and we're finishing it off now on your Thursday afternoon. So if you are thinking, my Lord, I can't believe Liverpool have bought Leo Messi and they haven't mentioned it, <laughs> now you know why. Uh, so that's the way in which this works. Uh, but we are going to do what? I think will be happening at the club across the course of this show. We've got a chat coming up with Andy Grant and Phil Reid. That is to come. And we're also looking ahead to the Anne Williams Golf Day. But across the course of the show, we're going to be talking on and off about the question marks. There's a number of players, I think, who come back to Melwood either this weekend or very, very soon and find themselves with question marks around them, around their Liverpool futures, which they themselves might have, not even as simple as what the coaching staff think. They themselves may well think, well, I'm not sure if I want to continue as Liverpool players. And we're going to go through all of them, all the outfield (laughs) ones. We're only doing the outfield ones. We are not doing the goalkeepers. If you heard the Anfield rap this week, we talked at length about Loris Carriers. If you haven't heard it, it's fantastic. First 25 minutes or so, theanfieldrap.com for that. You can find it there. A really good discussion about the Carriers situation and the manager and how that's going to interrelate with the support uh, worth listening to. So we're going to park the goalkeepers, but we will go back to front and we will start talking about, first and foremost, Nathaniel Klein. And Gareth, for me, Klein is, he's almost a forgotten man. He was perfectly solid. He was very good for the first half of 2016-17. He's then probably dropped a little bit as Liverpool's Liverpool themselves dropped the second half of 2016-17. And now he finds himself in a bit of a position where he's, he's scrapping away not just with Trent Alexander-Arnold for a starting berth, but also Joe Gomez for the idea of being the cover for uh, for right back. And it's it isn't as easy as well. He'll just claim his place back. I don't think. No, I don't think so either. And I think he's got to still sort of prove his fitness and his level as well. At some point, um, he was doing that to an extent. I thought, but you know, you didn't quite see him enough to know where you were with him. Thought um, he's decent against Everton at Goodison. Uh, you saw something there where you thought, yeah, he, you know, he, he looks back, if you like. Um, and and I, I like him. I, I, I understand some of the criticism of him. I think some of it might just be Liverpool stylistically and that they ask quite a lot of the full-backs going both ways. Yeah. And that, you know, maybe in another team where he's not asked to do so much in the other, in the opposition's box almost at times, then maybe perhaps, you know, people have, be like, yeah, he's he's fantastic, he's great. Because sometimes he looks a little bit lost when he gets get, gets to that end of the pitch. But all in all, I always think he's so, he's so, he's one of them that you call a solid player. He's always around seven out of ten, six out of ten. You can rely on him. And so, if he's happy at Liverpool and he's happy in that situation, and he's happy to just challenge the the players that you say, then happy days. But you know, lots of players aren't in that situation, I guess. And you know, you would imagine other clubs look at him and England international as well. Uh, good career behind him, plenty of years left in the tank. Like I say, if he's got over these injuries, I imagine that he wouldn't be short of interest if all of a sudden he decided he wants to get off. The other, the other thing is that I've heard some people mention. I think it's quite an interesting idea of, of that he could perhaps, if we don't sign anyone and there's no talk of it, he could perhaps cover the other side. I think I'm calling the other side. It's interesting, but it, one of the things here, Amelia, is that if you're a, if you're running a football club, you've got a budget, you've got budgets, you've got what you spend your money on, where your money is, and being quite honest, for the fee he was signed for, Nathaniel Klein will be one of Liverpool's, if not top earners, but a significant earner. And if he's not going to be a regular sort of a first team, we're expecting to see him there for 35, 40 games across the course of the season. If they're seeing him a bit less than that, then it might well be 
situation brews, maybe over the course of the season, maybe not now, but where there might be a, move, a feeling he can move on come the summer of 2019? I think there's, there's a couple on the list, and I'm not going to jump the gun, but there's a few where you look at them and think, shouldn't we just be getting a bit of money for them, to be honest? Because especially with being quite spoilt for choice when it comes to right-backs now, and as you say, there's Alexander-Arnold and there's Gomez, and when you kind of we wouldn't be in a terrible position if you did lose him. Do you know what I mean? There's like, I think there's some, that the thought of it would rip your heart out, but realistically you're in a good position. It's not something that would be that much of a worry, I think. And yeah, I think there's players that pragmatically you need to think about what money could we be getting from these and how much do we actually want them? For what? Yeah, I mean, I agree with all of that, but I think there's, a th- it's not sort of unreasonable to, to assume or, or to think that Trent might have a period where he really does struggle next season or or injuries come into play. And, and I think it's it's common for young players who've... Tiredness on the turn from the World Cup. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's had this long summer and, and it's something not, he's not used to with the intensity of playing Premier League football and Champions League football. So I think it's not unreasonable to, to, to think that he might have a period where Jurgen Klopp might want to just take him out of the team a bit and, and bring in that solidity, which we we know Klein has. And, and Joe Gomez, you know, we could talk about him being... You know, maybe shifted to centre half is more natural position. Some would say, but he he has his own injury problems as well. Which I mean, he doesn't seem like the most reliable player that you can you can pin a, a long length kind of run of games for on. So I think there's that argument of having that solid option that that can do. You know, I think Jurgen Klopp a lot of favours in in some. As part of this, it, it, it strikes me as you know that going to go through a number of players here and there's, there's, there's knock-on effects you mentioned before the idea that also Klein could do something at left-back Gareth but there is there is a bit of you can have a bit of sympathy for the idea that you know by the time he gets back from the World Cup Liverpool there's Liverpool players who will be in pre-season training next week Trent Alexander-Arnold is not going to be amongst them and then whenever England go out to the World Cup whatever happens he's then going to need slash deserve three weeks off he's almost going to have to have his own pre-season we may not see him start a game until September is what I'm sort of saying and even then it might be that Klopp thinks you know what second half of the season for you Klein first half and go from there. But also for Klein, Moreno, there's the knock-on effect there where if you're Alberto Moreno, surely by now you're knocking on that manager's door and you're saying, I need to go and play regular football, surely. Yeah, you'd think so, wouldn't you? Because, you know, he, he was fairly vocal over losing his place to to Milner, yeah, probably not unreasonably in one respect in that, you know, Milner's sort of reinvented from being a midfielder as a sign and to a lad who's playing in Moreno's position all season. So, yeah, he has a little moan about that. He has the sort of the full turn around, gets back in the side and, and looks all right, and you know everyone was singing his praises. And then, you know, his head goes, and he has a little, he has a bad game against Seville, and then people go, "Oh well, same old Moreno." And then that's it. Sort of Robertson's on the up from there on in, and being talked about as one of the best fullbacks in the league. So I, I, I would agree with you in that. You know. Career-wise, football-wise, you'd expect them to be looking at it now and saying, "Well, I, I'm not. It's not looking like I'm getting a regular game." But then, th- there's loads of unknowns, isn't there, with all of these things? I mean, you see him sort of, you know, his Instagram game and that kind of thing, and you know, he's got a baby, hasn't he? And he might, he might well be that he's settled. When he's just extent. happy. Yeah, yeah, he's just happy here. That he's happy in Liverpool. You don't know that side of of his life really, and. I think we always assume that sort of every single player is the same in the respect that they must want first-team football. And, and to me, probably the reality is that some of them are more content with that than others. Some of them will be absolutely you know, desperate for the first-team football all the time. Others maybe can get it more that it's a squad game and they'll just wait for their opportunity. It is disappointing that that kind of... that 
redemption story. Do you know what I mean? That like you wanted to have yeah. get halted because of injury. And I suppose, and I guess you're right that for like, as with a lot of other jobs, maybe he is you know, like just dead happy and settled where he is and hasn't got that kind of, not aspiration, but that that driving force of I want to be getting picked first. I want to be on the pitch every match. This is like, that's what's driving him. But I think it is still, it's a shame that he doesn't get to have that kind of, that turnaround, that redemption story because he's injured. And again, I'd say, surely we could just be getting some money for him. Mm. Yeah, I think something that does him a favour is his early performances. You know, that he's kind of in the shop window in that sense. The club's coming in. I think last summer when people were looking at him, there wasn't much to go on in terms of his performances. He wasn't in the best of form. He was struggling to, to even get into the team. And then that good good run of games he had earlier on next year, I think might have sort of, might have kind of, Awoken some clubs and looked at him and said, you know, maybe he's he has got the potentially the player that he could be. And I don't think anyone could predict. Well, certainly he couldn't have predicted how good Robinson came in and kicked on. So it's not sort of any anything against him that he's been second choice to to a left fullback who's probably been one of the best in in the league. So I kind of feel as well that if you if if you were his agents and you put together like you know a, a highlights reel, if you if you were throwing something up on YouTube, you could still make something quite good. Do you know what I mean? You could show a load of good crosses. You could show a decent goal or two. That mad tackle, a lot. Yeah. Which, which, which you shouldn't get away with, but he broadly does. Yeah, you'd leave out the kung fu stuff, wouldn't you? <laughs> um, you, you? You'd leave out the crazy things. You'd leave out the the, the, the lack of positioning at times and stuff like that. But what I'm saying is, you know, I feel like you could circulate a decent marketing DVD forums and not, and not someone puts their hand up and goes go on we'll give this fella a go Rob will be selling them outside Anfield at the start of the <laughs> season some bad music yeah. 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 <laughs> honestly what a DVD it'd be imagine the sleeve uh, we'll do the centre half after the break this is the Anfield Rap on Radio City Talk don't go anywhere Welcome back to the Anfield Rap Radio City Talk Neil Atkinson Amelia Bonifuad Hassan and Gareth Roberts uh, it'd be tempting to do the two centre backs together when we're talking about the players with question marks over them but they actually have quite different aspirations possibly different ideas different places in the pecking order that have shifted Ranyar Clavin last season we'll start with him Amelia he arguably plays very very well when called upon broadly speaking there is a minor question that he will probably want the answer to I'd have thought from the manager which is how often am I going to be called upon this season yet the manager seems very committed to the idea of keeping him around the place obviously feels he's a, a top guy uh, that appears to be a massive part of this that Ranyar Clavin seems sound so you get the impression whether he stays or goes is going to be down to him not down to Liverpool I just, so right, up until now, as with the others I said to you, bin them off and get some money, please. I would just like to get another season out of him. Do you, like, I just, yeah, that's my broad and very basic approach to it. Whereas with the other lads, I reckon, uh, I think injuries are more of a concern. There are more question marks. And also, where does he fit? So I think with Clavin, my main kind of, uh, it would just be give him another season, see how he does. It is... You suspect again, you know, when we think about this in the broad sense, Fuad, there's a budgetary thing here that he's not on, he's probably not on very much money. He was signed from a level of club he was signed from for a fee, which was not nominal, but it wasn't, it wasn't expensive for Liverpool. <laughs> you think that Liverpool would be, you know, they would be relatively happy. The problem he has is he plays Van Dijk's side. And yes, Van Dijk, we've seen him move a little bit and all that sort of stuff, but you you struggle to see really the occasion other than League Cup games. Yeah, I don't see Van Dijk being rotated very much. I don't think Virgil's going to stand for that sort of thing, really. Um, maybe I'm wrong on that. Maybe the manager will be dynamic. He was last season, but you do sort of think it's tough to get a pathway through for Clavin. Yeah, I mean, like you said earlier, I think it's, it all depends on how much, what sort of ambitions he has, whether or not he wants to be playing regular football. You know, he might think, I'm at the twilight of my career now and, and it's time to just, get the last last few seasons in and, and play as much as I can and enjoy it. Um, but then again, 
he seems to be that player the manager's always loved. I think from before before he even joined Liverpool, I think Klopp was always a big fan of him. I think he said something like, if, if Ragnar Klavan believed in himself as much as I do, then he'd be the best centre-half or something like that. So he's... He's he's obviously been a favourite. I think I think he's one of those centre halves that you can rely on for the odd game here and there. Um, we I think we saw a little bit of it last season where he came in at, at different stages and he and he did put on a good performance. I think the derby, I think it was last season. He was he was very good in and I think he's he's got the the ability to I guess to, to come in whenever really that sort of bit part player. So it, it all depends on him I think and I think I wonder if the manager will sort of will accept. That you know, he does want to move on, and he he wants to get the last few games, and so it all depends on that. I think. I think there's something you can almost you can almost trace a line of of managers right the way through this since you know since the squads games exploded, Gareth. Arguably, you know, from when Abramovich comes in, maybe even before, you can almost do a lovely little line of certain managers and their their perfect fourth choice centre backs. You know, they've all everyone's had one who they've liked or one that they've compromised on. So Benitez managed to scroll through a great deal of them. Eventually, for a while, had Hippie replaced him with Kiriakos. Wanted all sorts. You know, you end up. You can see a lot of things about a manager from what he wants, and it does appear that Jurgen's thing around Clavin is I really think he's a sound fella. Yeah, yeah, and that does come across, doesn't it? And I think, I think as well that like, you know we get him from Augsburg, was it? Yeah, yeah. And um, you know he's thirty years old at that point, and I think he was fairly honest in one of the first interviews I ever seen with him, where he just said, "I never expected to be coming to a, a club the size of Liverpool at this stage in my career." So. You know, whereas we talked before about or mentioned about Moreno and what his ambitions might be and all that sort of stuff and whether he might simply just be happy, I think Clavin probably is simply just happy to to be at Liverpool and to be getting sort of twenty odd games, which is what he's 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 got in the two seasons or twenty odd appearances, which is what he's got in the two seasons so far. And it's interesting. I was just having a look then. Um, you know, most of those appearances are, are league games as well. So, you know, there is a, a certain level of trust there from the manager that he's all right in the Premier League against certain opposition, you know, perhaps not the paciest opposition, for instance. Um, but, you know, you certainly think that if you're throwing him in against <clears> some of the, the lower sides, if you like, the league, yeah, he's all right, isn't he? He's going to get through that. He's going to be fine. And I think we just got to remember that we want Liverpool. We constantly talk about wanting Liverpool to fight on all these fronts. And you know, you mentioned Van Dijk, but like if if we're in the later stages of the Champions League again, you're wrapping Van Dijk up in the in the cotton wool, aren't you? And you're throwing Clavin in in the league game, but you're wanting to win both. Yeah, and I think he's good enough for that. The the next one on the list is is Matip, and it strikes me that he's a man who who suddenly got no. I think there'll have been a point last season where Matip will have thought he's competing, maybe even from the start of the season, if we're honest, where he's competing with Lovren to be the footballer who starts next to next to Virgil van Dijk. And it looks like that's that's apparently my will have lost. Uh, and on top of that, there's the, the injury questions. He's coming back to this pre-season when he reports back into duty. I think with a, with, he should be feeling like he might have a, a fair bit to prove in sort of a week-in, week-out sense. Yeah, I, I mean... He hasn't really been that reliable over the last season in terms of his injuries, and, and I think neither centre half him or Lovren have, have been particularly good with injuries and, and fitness. So he does have he does have something to prove, and I, and it, I think it's all about fighting for that place next to to Van Dijk. I don't think we're gonna 
I don't think most fans and, and we'd be very comfortable with, with seeing um, Lovren alongside Matip again uh, that often for a period of game. So it is about that position next to him. And, and you just felt over last season that the balance was right with Lovren and, and Van Dijk playing together. There were, there were a few games with, with Matip playing there and, and then his injury came in and sort of forced the manager's hand in, in playing Lovren there. So I, I think he, he might be he might be the, the right sort of player who who could play instead of Van Dijk in that role in, in terms of being that, that more calm, calm centre off and, and having another player, whether that's Lovren or someone else, that's a bit more front foot and aggressive uh, next to him. But then I think big thing with these centre halves is reliability in terms of injuries and, and we need them in games that, that other players aren't available for. Reliability in terms of injuries is interesting because you mentioned there Lovren as well, Amelia has, has a couple of question marks around his injury. And the fact of the matter is, I think there is now a general expectation that Croatia are going to go quite far into this World Cup. If they do, if they get into the, certainly get into the quarters, maybe even go beyond, you realistically may get into a situation where you're not getting Dejan Lovren back until the first week of August and the manager wouldn't want to rush him back. And I do think that there might be another chance for redemption for Matip, another opportunity of getting a, maybe a run of games in in, that, in the start of August because someone has to play next to Van Dijk. Someone has to work through pre-season. And I wonder whether or not Matip might be thinking, I've still got opportunities here to keep me place. Yeah, but then it, you can't change the fact that it is an increasing concern. If it was, if it was a concern all of last season and it's an ongoing concern, I think that... Yeah, the start of the season sound, but like there's a lot of weeks of football. Um, I just I don't know where he fits now, and I think that Van Dyke is yeah is the reason for that, obviously. But I just I don't know what his place is there anymore, and I don't I, yeah I just don't see his. He's the one who I think Gareth is most vulnerable when you you, you there's rumours consistent rumours that even though maybe the player hasn't been identified or certainly the information hasn't come out if he has been that Liverpool are looking for one more centre back mm. and he's the one who I would think if Liverpool are looking for one more centre back certainly if they do it, the business relatively early in July you would think it was Matip who was the most vulnerable to the idea of of, of being urged towards the exit door yeah I'd say I'd say that's fair it does feel like. You know, he, he came with a good reputation, and I, I remember going to the pre-season games and when he when he first came to Liverpool, and everyone was like, "Oh, size of him, and he looks he looks the business, and he looks cool, calm, collected, and looks like the answers and all that." And then, you know, he's faded quite a long way from there, not least in you know the injuries, what has been mentioned, but just performances as well. It feels like you know a, a little bit of trust has gone. Uh, maybe I'm over exaggerating, but certainly with the fans, a little bit of the trust has gone. Uh, needs to win that back. You'd imagine also with the manager. I mean, you said at the top, didn't you, on this little section that you know his his firm favourite now is Lovren in that position. Um, but perhaps you know, like you say, he gets an opportunity early doors because of the World Cup, because of Croatia maybe going to the later stages. And there's that many friendlies that he's going to get a go. There's loads of them that are going to get a go in the friendlies, and I, I think. You know, we say it every year that these friendlies are an opportunity for those fringe players, but I think this time it's probably more true than ever before. I think lots of them, you know, you can see it going either way. And so if he if he performs well and though you know, if he performs well, if he's professional, if he shows the right attitude, we know Klopp loves all that, then maybe there is a way back. But equally, you know, if, if he is going in for like what what's the lad that Newcastle we get Lascelles. Yeah. I mean, if someone like him comes in, you know, then you start to think you can see him maybe going back to Germany or something like that. Um, I think, sorry, in my mind, it's it's a bit different to the way that I see Klein in the sense that under normal circumstances, he would be at the World Cup right now. But as it is, he's at Melwood and he's training and that kind of the start of season might be really important for him to kind of be getting games and proving himself and kind of, do you know what I mean? Making that impression. Whereas 
for Matt, but I just don't think that's the case. Okay. Uh, earlier this week, uh, Gareth spoke to Steve Martin about the Anne Williams golf day. Uh, this conversation, here it is. Okay, it's Gareth Roberts here, and I'm joined with Steve, by Steve Martin. Uh, we're going to have a chat about the Anne Williams golf day, now in its sixth year. Um, just tell us a little bit, Steve, how it, how it started off, how it's grown, uh, what it's for, and, and, and how you're raising money and everything else with it. Uh, basically, obviously, everyone knows Anne's story regarding Kevin and Hills, but obviously after the inquest and after, or before even then, after Anne's passing, we felt it was the right thing to do between the four lads who organised the golf day to remember Anne. Now, I, without Anne, the inquest wouldn't have happened. That's fact. You know, Anne went to Barcelona by herself to the European Courts of Appeal to get Kevin's inquest heard. Now, that was a stepping stone. And obviously, what's happened since then with the un- awful killer and whatever else is obviously it's beyond anyone's wildest dreams, really, from the state that they were then compared to where they are now. Obviously, with the court proceedings, who knows where that will yeah. lead. But for what, from our point of view, was Anne put so much effort into it. Her golf day and her memory will benefit thousands of people, hundreds of people. Uh, from the first year when we donated the money directly to Anne's family for them to keep going to the inquest in Warrington. Could they have no money? Anne had many, many dark days where no one listened to it. Ah, it's just them scousers going on and on again. Well, now look, you know, this is sixth year. And to me, I spoke to Dan Kay from the Echo about it the other day, and I went, to me this year is the first year the whole concept of the golf day is actually true. You know, the court, the court is still going on, doing their thing, but Anne's memory is primarily the focus this year. The verdict's been done, we've all known the unlawful killing verdict, but Anne's memory is going to generate thousands of pounds this year for an hour for others. Now, next year, who knows where it'll be? You know, it could literally be anyone walking on the streets who need that help and Anne's, and Anne's memory is going to benefit them. You know, it was a simple idea on all the red all over the land between four lads who previously done a different golf day for a different charity at that time. Anne's legacy is primarily what the golf day is about. It doesn't matter if we raised £100, it doesn't matter if we raised £5,000. Anne's memory will never be forgotten because of this golf day. And it, it, it's become really well supported now, hasn't it? So what, you, what you're doing is you're getting people to donate prizes and things like that, but also in terms of people actually wanting to take part, you're just being telling me there that you've got more people wanting to play now that you can actually cope with, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, it's about that. I mean, when the four lads you put the golf day together, it's our day. Yeah. Now, that sounds selfish, but I want to enjoy the day as much as everyone else, so I want to make sure I get men around the golf. If we let everyone in who wants to play, well, we're not playing because we're busy to organise and doing other things, this, that and the other. The golf course, the, the golf day is held at Heightland Personal Golf Course and I can't thank them enough because they purposely build a package to suit our golf day. Because if they charge us what they charge corporate events, well, we can't hold this event. And they actually knock off money all over the place for us to keep on doing this. The first year of the golf day, we had 34 players. Well, we're up to 68 this year. And I'm not exaggerating, we could have had 100 players. We have roughly from players to caddies, lads who haven't got a clue about golf, wanting to come and pull bags along for their mate to play just because they want to be involved. It means everything to me because it's. I keep on back. It was a simple idea. We need to do something to remember Anne. And we're six years in. The shield that we've had created for the winners has got 30 plaques on it. 30 years of events. Who knows what the 20th year, what that charity will be. And it'll never be to forget Anne. 
And in terms of, you know, as I say, you're getting support, aren't you, from local businesses in, in terms of things to give away on the day as prizes and everything else. I mean, again, that, that, that shows you that, you know, her name is spread far and wide. People are respectful of that. And when you're going around saying, I'm organising this, it seems lots and lots of people are willing to help you. If I'd stood here and named every person who supported it, be it a five a donation up to the maximum donation that we get from the basically there's a fellow in America who donates every year and it's an astronomical amount of money and basically what he donates pays for 30% of our outgoings to put the events on you know you're talking over £4,000 outgoings before anything else and then we still raise on top of that I, not, I mean for everything that we've all outpaid expenses and what we've brought in for six years we're talking over £50,000 Brilliant. And um, if people are listening in and they want to get involved in terms of just donating or helping or they come along on the day, whatever, is there anything they can do anyway they can help you, Steve? Uh, we have got a, a, a GoFundMe link, but by the time I let other off on anything, it'll be easier just to send it to yourselves and you can just retweet it out when you put the podcast out. It's just the easiest way to do it. But as a, from a playing point of view, as I said to you, we still have people on the reserve list but have been on it for two years and we still can't get them in. Every person who plays in the golf day gets a personal invite to come back the following year because they've supported it. We've got 70% of the field and the first lads who played in the very, very first year. Once you, it's, it's harder to get in this than a season ticket waiting list for Liverpool. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that because once you're in, you don't want to miss out. We have a full day. We have a band. We have Jamie Webster plays for us in the night time. We have a raffle. We have an auction. And we make sure ends and remembered in the right manner. It's not a golf day for me. It's not a golf day for like all like it's not a golf day for the charity. The charity benefit all because of man. At the end, I can't say that any fair. And I get, I went back to it before, I said the inquest wouldn't have happened. They wouldn't have got the verdict that they did for the families if it wasn't for that. It's you know, I can't say any further than that. Yeah, that's fair enough. And it, it, it's an hour for others this year. Um tell us a little bit about why then this time round. Why not? It's just their, their year. Yeah. Obviously, we all know about Trent Alexander-Arnold's that he's an ambassador for them. Um, Jamie Webster obviously done that ALA before the final, which went to them. From the idea they had, it was similar to ourselves. It was a simple idea. We thought how to benefit people of Liverpool City. You know, our contribution is Anne's memory, but the money that we raised will go directly to our for others, for them to help families who find them hard times for a number of reasons, be it death in their family, be it homelessness, be it addiction, whichever whichever family Kevin and Jill from our brothers feel deserving of this money, then crack on mate, because you're doing it for the right things. This isn't selfishness, this isn't look at us, what we're doing. We want to benefit our city. We're proud to be Scousers, we're proud of what I'm done, and be it 20 quid, be it £10,000, who knows what we're going to raise. Every penny is directly going to them. Excellent there, Gareth, talking to Steve. This is the Anfield Rap on Radio City Talk after the break. We'll be back working through the midfield and the forwards with Amelia, Fuad and Gareth. Don't go anywhere. Am I talking first to you? We're not quite you sure. Are, I think. Uh, Let's go that way <laughs> okay, I'm talking first. So, uh, I hope everyone's enjoying the World Cup. There's a little bit of a break now uh, where we can all assess. I had a look at the odds, the general odds for the World Cup before, and I found it quite. Interested to see where people are. Brazil are favoured seven to two, which okay. is sort of what you'd expect. Then you've got Spain four to one, and then there's a bit of a jump from Belgium to six to one. And I'm looking at Spain, thinking, are they are they too 
points, if you like, better than than, than the kind of the, the nearest runners of riders and that. I think it's the idea maybe that they've got that they've got course and distance. Do you know what I mean? And that yeah. no one else has. Mm. And that the half of the draw they're going to end up in. I saw something before that Spain could well end up in a half of the draw with Belgium, with England, Belgium or England, yeah. Colombia or Senegal. There's no other big hitter, basically, not one. Oh, so Whereas, that's what they're thinking. It's, yeah. it's a half of the draw thing. Oh, it's okay. a half of the draw thing. And at the minute, no one knows which half of the draw Belgium will end up in. No one yeah. knows which half of the draw England will end up in at the time when we're, when we're talking. Yeah, they were doing this on Thursday. Doing this on Thursday for people listening. Though we, Obviously, there is the break before the, the last 16 games. So no one knows a lot of the details. So I think that there's an element of that, and I think that that might sort of crystallise the lines a little bit. But I just think that people, you know, you go where the you go where the market is, and I think at the minute, I think both Brazil and Spain, you are able to sort of point at certain players, point at what's happened before, look at all that sort of thing. Whereas I can understand, I personally think Belgium have got a great chance. Well, Belgium <laughs> was sixes at, at, the, at, at the time of looking. I think they've got a great chance, Belgium, I really do. But I also simultaneously can understand how you can say, yeah, you can think they've got a great chance, but there's still lots and lots, lots of question marks as to what happens when they're in a certain game and it's not going well for them. And not even say they're behind, but when they're under massive, massive pressure because they've crumbled before. And I think that that's your big thing. And that's, that's what it comes down to. I thought that Brazil was simultaneously impressive and not very impressive against yeah. Serbia. I thought that there was loads of stuff that was impressive. They saw out the rocky patch well. But you get to say they saw out the rocky patch well. They keep a palms it onto Mitrovic's head. And if Mitrovic nods it in, it's suddenly 1-1 and they're panicked. And it's not a bad... He does all right, Mitrovic. It's on target and that's all he can do. He's got no time to prep for it. I thought it was dead harsh when everyone was saying he should have scored. He's basically edited a goal, you know. <laughs> and and that's all he's got time to do. And if it goes through the defender's legs and goes into the back of the net, you say it's a really good finish. And because it doesn't, you don't. And then you don't get to say Brazil held out, if you know what I mean. So... It was it was a bit of ride their own luck, but then they did hold out well and they killed it well and it's a good set piece goal and they sort of look like they've got a lot of things sorted out Brazil, even though they're not playing brilliantly. You know, it's a nice centre half partnership, it's a good goalkeeper. What Casemiro was nice, so that's a nice little four yeah. through the middle of the pitch, and then Coutinho's playing really, really well. Neymar's not great, but you get the impression he might have one good game, uh, which at this point, one good game can be the difference between getting through and not. Yeah. Okay, um, I've got some specials for you for the weekend. Is this these Reds bet? These are with Reds bet, yeah, Reds bet are uh, partnering us this year and also through the World Cup and we're delighted that they are doing so. So I've got some, um, some well, Liverpool associated will go with um, specials for the World Cup and I want you to rate them um, in tribute to the true hero of, the, hero of this World Cup, Ali McCoist. Oh, I'd, like to, I'd like you to rate them. Um, Ali's, Ali's out of five, please. Okay, yep. I mean, uh, yeah, the correct answer is five alleys to well, everything because well, that's Ali's own outlook. <laughs> <laughs> and absolutely brilliant it is too. Okay, um, so the first one I've got, it's Uruguay v Portugal. Okay. Suarez first goal, 11-2. to two. Oh, that's five alleys out of five. It's, it feels long, doesn't it? I feel like someone's messed up. Yeah, yeah, I feel like we should be promoting that one. We could <laughs> get everyone into trouble. Yeah, um, Suarez look good this this World Cup, I think, and, and Portugal, I don't know, look a bit, a bit of a shaky. So I think Uruguay are going to win that game, so there you go. Uh, so that's, you going for five alleys? Five alleys. I mean, does he take the pens for Uruguay? I think he does, you know. Which, sure. I mean, it's mad anyway. It's a toss of a coin, isn't it? We saw him take pens. Yeah. Or maybe Cavani demands them. But, if he, Cavani he, but he takes the free kicks around the box as well, and there's yeah. going to be loads of them. It's be, <laughs> I want it to be the worst game of football ever played and simultaneously the best. I mean, a good chance of that. So that's Saturday night. Um, then another game this weekend, um, Croatia to beat Denmark um, to nil. So Degsy Lovren, clean sheet. Yep. Two to one. Five alleys out of five. <laughs> Have you seen Denmark? I mean, yeah. if Ericsson doesn't do it, yeah. they're crap. Yeah. 
So, I mean, I, I quite like Poulsen. Poulsen looks all right, the, the Leipzig lad. Um, yeah. And I also like him because when I play Pro Evolution online with Steve Graves, me go-to need to get a win team is Leipzig. Uh, and it, first when I first picked him, it was obviously for Keita. And now it's for the front two of Werner and Poulsen, and they terrorise Graves. Because you guys have to pick a team around the same level. You can't just go Man City. Of course. So, and it's quite difficult for him to judge the level. And I'm really good with Poulsen, so I obviously rate him higher than I would do in real life. So he'll do for me as well. <laughs> but I'm still, but even with all of that into account, I mean, that is, I am very firmly five alleys out of five on that. Great stuff. And I think you're going to like this last one as well. Brazil v Mexico. Okay. At the weekend. Firmino, last goal, seven to one. It's a nice price, but I'm not going with it. Oh, I'm, okay. I'm going. I'm, go, I'm going three and a half alleys right. out of five, and that it's a nice price, generous price. But I think it's really weird. They might not even bring him on if, Suppose, if, yeah. they're, if they're two up. Um, they've got a strange relationship with him, um, and I, I don't quite get it. Other than the fact that there's a continuity angle. They've been doing this with Hezos through age groups for some time now, uh, and I, th- I think that it might be that, and it might be the idea that. You know, it could it could be as simple as rightly or wrongly, two or three of the of, of the certain bigger players prefer playing with Jesus, and so he's just going to stick with that and not yeah. rock the boat. But for me, I'd be starting him, uh, but he, he's not going out. And then you know, if they do ease into a distance, you know, just two goals clear, you, you, I don't think he's going to rush him onto the pitch. No. So, so I'm I'm not I'm not I'm not overly allied on that one. Okay, uh, one last one, which I'm not sure about at all. Uh, any Liverpool player to score in the World Cup final, seven to one. I mean, it's decent odds, but I just can't figure out who it is. Basically, I can't figure out who it is. Like, who's your man? If because you, everything you just said about for me you now is uh, is right. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's any time, I think. Any Liverpool player yeah, to yeah. score in the World Cup final, it's any time. But aside from for me, a bit of for me off the bench, which you just said you're not sure about. I mean, England could get there, but Jordan's not shooting a lot if they do. Um, Mane, I mean, Senegal could be out by now for all we know. So, um, I'm sitting recording this, they're literally kicking footballs around. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's, it's tricky, that one, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it'd be great if, like, you know, someone gets to the final and we bought them. <laughs> And our friends at Reds Bet are absolutely terrified. What? Cristiano what Ronaldo's yeah, on his way to Liverpool. Liverpool have bought Ronaldo and Messi. <laughs> that seems unlikely. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, um, I'm I'm not sure. I think, I mean, all I'm thinking is thumping Dexy Lovren header, to be honest with you. If, if, you're asking, if you're asking me which one's most likely, almost yeah. a thumping Dejan Lovren header where he gives it the big one. He's just made it 3-1. They're still getting beat. <laughs> well, listen, that is 7-1 if you want to think a little bit more creatively with us. Uh, Red's better doing World Cup specials every day and they are really good I've, I've dabbled in a few of them myself and it's been good fun so if you do enjoy your bet and you do bet online then we would encourage you to do so with Red's bet just because they offer 50% of losses or 50% of profits to fan related causes if you don't gamble then keep doing it that way we don't encourage anyone to gamble just if you do then um, do so with Red's bet it is a good choice and they've got a good website and as I say they support fan causes but do at all times be gamble aware and you can have a look at things online to support you on that if need be Um, what have you got next Neil any idea? Uh, what in terms of shows? Yeah, I'm, about, well, I'm going to do the City Talk show that we, this is the insert for, and then we've got wild cards. Uh, we're doing that, and then I'm going on holiday. That's why I decided I go second on this one. <laughs> he's on. He's Team on the happy. beach. Yeah, I'm on, he's on the beach. Uh, Buckets and spades. <laughs> John Gibbons, Neil Atkinson with his flip flops on. Uh, hope you've enjoyed this, and I hope you're enjoying the World Cup. 
Welcome back to the Anfield Wrap on Radio City Talk. Working through the players with question marks next to the name when it comes to their Liverpool futures and how this preseason is going to play out for them. The next one on my list that I do want to talk about is is Marco Gruic. He does well at Cardiff. He performs pretty well at the base of the midfield. Uh, but it's fair to say, Amelia, Liverpool have spent a lot of money on someone who's going to compete with Jordan Henderson for that place at the base of the midfield. Yet Liverpool did an uplight of midfielders. It's... If I was Marco Grewich, I'd have a transfer to question. That's my point, I think. I, and I think the point is that there will be a lot of other clubs that would covet a player like that. Like I don't think we'd struggle to shift him and to get a bit of money for him. And I, yeah, I just think maybe it would be, it's time to look at, could we get a bit of money for a player that quite a couple of clubs would but actually also he, like? He himself can say, well, I've just really impressed top half the championship. They'd buy him back. For no shadow of that, they would buy him back if the fee was right. You know, he must be thinking. But also, Lazio supposedly are interested. He must be thinking there's there's a there's there's a path for me. Absolutely, and it's that thing of ambition of what does he want? What does he want to be getting out of what he does with his like what he does day in day out? And kind of what does he get his satisfaction on? Does he get? Does he have a future at Liverpool? I don't know. So therefore, does he move somewhere else? It's potential for We haven't had one that's got away for a while. My thing on Gruwich is he may well need to go somewhere to end up being the sort of player who gets bought back by a top six side in England or a top four side somewhere in Europe, that he might need to go to somewhere like Lazio, get 100 games under his belt, and then people would say, God, I can't believe Liverpool let him go. And yet he would never have become that player if he hadn't have left Liverpool, if you know what I mean. Yeah, exactly. I, I definitely think there's a there's a top-class midfield player in there. And I think... He, he he knows. I think he knows what to do, and he and he's got he's got all the ability and and all the the technique and everything. But it's just about implementing it on the pitch in in kind of competitive matches in, in, in a league where he's being being able to start a run of games and and get the experience. Because I think Klopp kind of hinted at that earlier on last year, and 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 you know you, we kind of forget he was bought from a relatively unknown kind of league in an unknown club in Serbia, was it? So he's he, he hasn't had the experience of a of a midfielder who's played in some other leagues where he's had a few seasons at the, at the top level. So I think he does need to go away. Lazio would be, I mean, it sounds like the, the perfect club, you know, I think they're probably shifting on a few players this summer, likes of Savage and, and others. So he, he would really kind of benefit from getting run of games at a, at a pretty top class league. So, But this, the flip side is, Gareth, the strong links that, that Cardiff are prepared to take him on loan for another year and Liverpool are going to be are open to that, which does suggest that there's... I think if Liverpool are open to another loan for him, it suggests they think there might be a place for him at Liverpool. I think that sometimes when Liverpool alone and play alone and play Lazar Markovic as an example, it's because they mm. can't sell him. Yeah. With Gruwich, you get the impression it may well be that they are thinking, well, another year he gets Premier League football now at a club he already knows, and maybe, just maybe, he does blossom, and when he comes back, we would commit to the idea of getting him a number of first-team games. I, I've got to quickly be your dar for a second Go on, say, <laughs> and, and say I can't believe Fuad slagging off Red Star Belgrade there. <laughs> you know, European giants in my childhood, mate, winning the European Cup. Um, but with, with Grujic, yeah, I, I get a similar impression to you in that. If, think back to when he let him go to Cardiff. It seemed a lot of thought went into that before he let him go. Like he wanted him to go somewhere where he was going to get a game, where he was going to get a chance to shine. And, it, and, and I remember a few of us, not least me, pulling a bit of a face that he goes to play under Neil Warnock. But, you know, perhaps it's one of those things, you know, perception inside and outside of different things. Because he seems to like playing for Warnock. And, and, and so, you know, maybe that that's done wonders for him and Cardiff are saying he'll have him back. I think there's something there, I agree with Fuad there, that, you know, you've seen little flip, flits from him that there's a potentially a good player there. Looked a little bit like a red card waiting to happen a few times when he was coming on for Liverpool. Playing in, in the Championship, you're guessing he's got that a little bit out of his system now. 
Um, but it's just it, it's as we keep saying with a few of these players, like what what does he want right now? And the thing is that he's tasted both, so he's kicked around that Liverpool, not getting a game, yeah. sitting in a flat, lonely at night in Liverpool, going. I'm not into this. Then he's gone to Cardiff, which is a great city, um, got up, promoted, played well, and, and tasted what it's like to play every week as well. And I'm guessing... And succeed while playing. Yeah, and I'm guessing that was probably a nicer experience for him. So so what's the sell to each other almost, if you like, in, in that, if he went and knocks on Klopp's door and says, look, love to play for Liverpool, but I really enjoyed that, you know. Then Klopp, what we've seen so far, is probably not going to stand in his way. He's probably going to say, go on then, go and have a game. But... I don't know, yeah, maybe another loan or maybe if you're going to sell, you put a buyback thing in it or something like that. But I think that's spot on what you said, by the way, as well. The way There's always players that kick around the edge of a squad that, that Liverpool can't be the development project for. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I think maybe we'll come on to say someone like Woodburn's perhaps another one of them where there's definitely something there. But they're just not going to get enough games to probably bring their game on and, and they need that because he's like he's 22 and he grew it I think so yeah. you know, he's just gone the World Cup with Serbia yeah so it's an important it's an important point in his career and so yeah you wouldn't blame him if he went somewhere else for first team football the thing is as well Cardiff's got Oaxaca now so I don't know how that influences <laughs> his decision but like huge Oaxaca news they've got uh, a five guys and all sorts I'm just saying <laughs> if you if you oh, were well. weighing up that kind of a career move you'd be like I mean they've got a bit of everything uh, Lalana's intriguing to me, Gareth. He's he seems we didn't have him last season. It was interesting how much the manager talked about not having him come the end of the season. He didn't the one the manager was harking back to. We've had no Lalana all season. He kept saying the question is, can we actually get much Lalana out of a season now? That's one of the things. And secondly, has, has the way the side plays ever so slightly moved past him? He looked like he was absolutely key to everything we did. Yeah. And now all of a sudden you're thinking, I'm not quite as I'm not quite as convinced. Yeah, it's hard to see where exactly. He plays whose shirt he takes, yeah, exactly. Because you know, the, the time was that he was sort of flitting between a lad that you knew could occasionally fill in, in the front three and a lad who could kick around in midfield as well. Now, you're definitely not putting him in the front three, and then in midfield, given the signings that we've made, and given what you've seen of Kaita, and given you know Fabinho as well. It's just really hard to see where he gets his game. And, and you've got to make the point that we made about one of the other players earlier that Lalana's probably on. Towards the top end of, yeah, of really wages. good money, yeah. Um, he's thirty as well, is he now as well? And I think we saw last season the frustrations he was having, you know, internally in his head, if you like, about about where he was. You know, there was that bizarre incident when he was playing for the reserves. Um, so again, he, he's got a lot to think about him. I think this year, you know, the manager clearly liked him. We all remember the moments, you know, first game Tottenham falling into the manager's arms and all that, and the manager constantly saying he, he's the man who starts to press, who gets it, and all the rest of it. Obviously, a popular figure as well. It seems with the other players, and that makes it difficult. But I don't know. I don't see him going. I don't see him going right now. I, I think I think he hangs around and he sees how he gets on. But he see he, to me he seems one that maybe goes somewhere like in January. Maybe he doesn't get much footy and then someone else has this a look is, at him and he moves in January. Maybe. Well, this is the, this is the, the doesn't get much footy thing for what again. He's not gone to the World Cup and he, if if you are Adam Lallana, you're looking at those four league games in August and you're thinking I want to start all four. What have I got to do to start all four? And that's almost what you're saying to manager day one in pre season. He'll be back back with the rest of them and you can imagine he'll hit that pre season. And, you know, he seems like an absolutely model pro. He's scrapped all the way up through his career, come up through the divisions. You get the impression he's going to bounce into pre-season as if to say, what have I got to do to ensure first game at Anfield against West Ham, somewhere I am on this pitch? 
Yeah, and, and actually, I think those are the sort of games I see him getting his game time in. The, the home games against your West Hams, your Huddersfields, these sort of teams where he might need to be brought on the last half an hour. I mean, even starting for, for the first half, for the first you know, 60, 70 minutes. I just don't see he has, at the moment in his legs, a full game in him at the at the level Klopp likes. And, and you know, you look at the rest of the midfield and you look at the flexibility. You know, we talk about Kaiser can play in pretty much all three of those positions. Even Jordan Henderson you could look at and playing in others and Gini Wijnaldum likewise. So he, he doesn't really have that flexibility. The front three, like like Gareth said, is is just a no for him because he, he just doesn't have the pace. And when we saw in the Champions League final when he was brought on and um, how that kind of panned out a little bit. So it, I, I don't see game time sort of in the starting lineup for him when Klopp has his full sort of squad and 11 players that he sees as his preferred 11. But I really do think there's a place for him in these sort of games where maybe we're deep in a cup competition or we're, we're in the Champions League in the later stages again and, and, and there's a home game against a, a team like West Ham or or Huddersfield. And, and that's where he could really maybe you know get on and, and get into the team, a bit like James Milner in our second half of the season. For me, Lalana's is the most interesting one on the list because at the start of Klopp's reign, he is your main man. Like he's doing absolute bits and I was deeply in love with him. And then now there is that question mark over him. And like, if you'd, if you'd told me that this is the position we'd be in at this point, I probably wouldn't have believed you because at the start he is so important and so integral, but we've moved so far beyond that. And again, it's, we've been saying it over and over again, but where does he go? What's his position? Because comparatively the lack of goals and kind of thinking of who you'd miss on the pitch, like when you think of not having Salah there, you know, not having Mane, then it's devastating and you don't know what impact that would have with Lalana how much do you feel the absence of him not being there? I don't know. And again, it sounds harsh because I'm like no oil painting myself and can't run for a bus, but he's not getting any younger. And as you say, not having enough legs in him for an entire game is a concern as are increasing injuries. Is there a, is there a thing though, Amelia, where he may well get his opportunity to, to, to either, to either sink or swim first half of the season with the lack of Oxlade Chamberlain <clears throat> that you can see, you can see, uh, you can see him being able to be, you know, there's games there. Uh, you take Oxley Chamberlain out, you could say that Fabinho Henderson working to, you, you, they may still both play together, but they cover. Kaito and Aldum, there may be a bit of interchange in there, but also you can see them playing together. As I said before, Oxley Chamberlain, Milner, you've seen that and you saw that cross last season. And now you lash Lallana in if Gruwich does go and Lallana's the seventh, but he's not the seventh because Oxley Chamberlain's not there. Yeah, no, completely. And I take your point. And I think like the fact that you're not starting the season with Oxley Chamberlain ready to get on the pitch and do bits makes me dead sad because I love him and he's brilliant. And I think. And it was the moment he was going to kick on. Yeah, that's the. And yeah, it was not just promising, it was brilliant. Like it already had the chance to start being brilliant. And I, I just. I still think the fact that you prefix all of that about Lalana by having to say and these are the lads that aren't going to be there and Oxford Chamberlain isn't on for this reason. And I think the fact that, I know, as you say, he wouldn't be seventh because he's going to be first if all those people aren't about. I still think the fact that you've got to prefix it with that much suggests, I don't. he's not going, like he's got a bit more of a future at Liverpool, but I don't know what. It's, it strikes me that the manager's, you know, he's looking for looking for numbers and bodies. And if we do throw Lallana in there, even if Gruwich goes, that is seven centre midfield, seven players who can play centre midfield. If, he gets Fakir as, you know, is not not off the cards. Now Gareth Thapi comes eight. So he's got himself in a situation there where, you know, we wear at the bare bones. That happens over the course of a season. The, the wear and tear of being footballers happens to all of them. And they all find it at some point sort of dif- difficult and taxing. And that's before you look at the 23s. Curtis Jones was on my list. We're not going to do him. Nor are we going to do any of the attackers because we're going to go over and speak to Phil Reid uh, in a second or two and Andy Grant. But there is there is there is the thing there where you can you can see that Lallana could, could just could 
finds a way to hit the ground running if he has the preseason that he'll be hoping for. Yeah, I think so because I, I think he's another one like 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 I said about Klein earlier, where I don't I think the, there might be clubs who've got like a bit of a watching brief with him, but he's not going to be sort of top of their list to come in to you know come in now and say, well, are you selling him? And and we'd like to buy him, but they might just keep an eye on it. So he's he's got a few months certainly, as you said before, before Oxley Chamberlain recovers from his injury, where he'll be kicking around, where he can be knocking on the door, where he can be doing stuff and saying and to impress. And look, we don't know about all the other factors around it, do we? So, you know, are the other midfielders in form? Are they fit? Um, where's Milner at? You know, where are the lads who've been to the World Cup at and all that sort of stuff? So, as you say, if he, I mean, he's always shown the right attitude for me. I don't think there's the, the really, apart from that mad reserve game, sorry to keep mentioning that, Adam, lad. Um, <laughs> but, you know, in general, he's shown the right attitude. I don't think there's ever been a question mark around his professionalism. So you imagine that if he gets a chance, he'll he'll do his best to take it and he'll give everything he's got, and that 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 might be enough. Who knows? I will uh, leave the discussion around what Liverpool should be doing in the attacking positions uh, over the course of the summer. To Melissa Rezzi will be hosting the Anfield Wrap on Monday. Hang on for that one. We're going to get over now. Gareth also spoke with John Gibbons to uh, Andy Grant and to Phil Reid. Uh, this is an excerpt from their conversation around around Andy and Phil's book. Uh, it's fascinating. Okay, I'm Gareth Roberts, and I'm joined by Andy Grant. Uh, John Gibbons and Phil Reid. Uh, we're going to have a chat about the book, uh, You'll Never Walk. Um, start with you, Andy. Um, you've obviously been doing bits and bobs of media around this, and people may know bits and bobs of the story by now. Uh, but I guess the obvious place to start with it all, if we're going to do it tabloid style and go with the headlines, if you like, is 2009, uh, waking up from a, a 10-day coma, age 20 then. Um, start off by telling us why. Why, why are you in a coma? Why are you waking up? And what, and what injuries do you wake up with? So it was possibly the, the worst day at the office, if you can imagine. Um, it was a, meant to be a normal routine foot patrol, one that I'd done hundreds of times before. I'd been in Afghanistan at this point, four or five months. I was in the Marines, I knew my job, and, and that was that. On this particular morning, we were patrolling out to head to a compound where we knew there was enemy going to be there. So the idea was to wake up three, four in the morning and get out there in the pitch black using the cover of darkness to our advantage. And unfortunately for us on this particular morning, my best mate Ian jumped over an irrigation ditch and what he didn't see was on the other side of the ditch in between two trees was a tripwire. He's jumped over, hit this tripwire, two bombs went off in between us, blew him forward, blew me back. And yeah, I, I straight away just knew what had happened. I knew I'd been blown up and just started screaming as loud as I could, to be honest. Thankfully, all the guys around me jumped on me, started patching me up, doing everything they could to save my life. And that then took about 40 minutes or so of them patching me up before a helicopter then come in, picked me up, took me to Camp Bastion, I had two life-saving operations performed on me, and then my condition was deemed that serious that they then put me into an induced coma and flew me back to the UK. I think I had on record 27 separate injuries from shrapnel to my face, broken sternum, broken elbow, chunks out both forearms, I had severed my femoral artery, chunk out my left thigh, it broke both lower legs, nerve damage to my hands and feet, and also lost the ability to have children. So from there, um, you know, the, the story moves on and, and, and it becomes a big decision, doesn't there, whereby uh, you actually make the decision yourself, sort of against the device, to have your leg amputated. I think I think this is one bit of the story where it sort of jumps out at me a lot and just think I, I can't compute having to make that decision. But then also, surely most people were there on the side of 
I, no, I, I'll, I'll, I won't do that. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So, so for you to go the other way, almost against, I think you say your father's advice as well. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about how, how you made that decision. So when I first woke up out of that coma, like I said, I still had the leg and they had this big, huge cage on my leg called an Elizabeth frame. And I basically had lost six centimetres of my fibula and, tib- fibula and tibia. So the idea was to try and grow the leg back. I mean, I didn't even know they could do this, but the mm. surgeon was like, look, this is what we do all the time. I can grow your leg back. So they did, they did offer me the amputation at the time, but again, I wasn't in no rush to start chopping parts of my body off. That didn't need to be chopped off, you know. <laughs> so if there was a chance to keep the leg, I said, you know, thanks very much, I'm going to keep it. But after about 15 months of keeping the leg, the cage then got taken off, and I went from a wheelchair to crutches to a walking stick. And eventually I could walk around okay. You know, life was, was okay-ish in that sense. But the big problem was I wasn't living the life I was used to living. I was used to being in the Marines, being fit as anything, you know, traveling around, climbing mountains, doing all this kind of thing. And suddenly I had this leg that just didn't really work. I started to become depressed and I just just didn't feel like I was living my life. Life was passing me by. So in the end, I decided to have it amputated and my dad was dead against it because obviously I'm his first, his only boy, his firstborn, and he just didn't want to see me go back through operations. And, and his mindset was, you know, just be grateful you're alive. You know, who cares if you can't run or play football anymore? But again, I was 21 now and I'm thinking... I'm used to being this Royal Marine who's, mm. you know, the elite, if you like, and I don't want to live my life at a snail's pace. So I then decided to have the leg amputated. And it was such a weird day because, you know, no again, no one told me I needed to have it done. So as I was driving from Liverpool down to Plymouth, it was one of those weird days where I, I drove with my dad down the motorway. And as I'm driving, I'm suddenly thinking, you know, you start daydreaming when you're on the motorway. And I'm thinking, this is the last time I'm going to drive my car with two legs. You know, I got down, stayed in a hotel the night before, I'm having a pint with my dad, I'm thinking, oh, this is the last pint I'm going to have <laughs> with two legs, you know, and uh, yeah, eventually go into the hospital the next day, I have the leg amputated and, and wake, up a, wake up a couple of hours later as an amputee. Uh, the surgeon comes round to see me and I guess this is where the title of the book comes in, really. He, he comes round to see me and he says, how are you feeling, Andy? Is everything okay? And I'm, I'm just wanting him to tell me that everything's gone well and everything's good. But he then turned around and says, look, Andy, there's good news and there's bad news. So at which point I'm thinking something's went wrong, there's been complications. He said, no, listen, the good news is the operation went really well, really happy with it. So I'm thinking, what could possibly be the bad news? And he says, well, you know, you're a big Liverpool fan, aren't you? I'm thinking, you know, bloody how long have I been asleep for? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> he says, um, well, I noticed on your calf you had a lava bed, but you'll never walk alone. I'm like, right, okay. He says, well, because of all the scarred tissue on your leg, I've had to pull the skin around from the back of the leg to create a decent stump so you can run and play football, etc. I'm really sorry, but in doing so, I've cut off the word alone. So your tattoo now reads, you'll never walk, which was completely ironic going on uh, what I went to do. But, you know, in the Marines, we get taught a little bit it's something called commando humour. It's that kind of, you can either laugh or you can cry. And thankfully, it was, um, thanks, the operation did go well. So despite the dodgy tattoo, um, you know, it all turned out well in the end. I mean, I, I, I wanted to sort of wind back there to something you touched on because I, I wonder how often people might ask about this because, because you, you know, the story is an amazing story. It's well worth reading the book because there's so many different aspects to it. We've only got this short time, would you? I wanted to wind back because I think the mental strength that you've shown to, to do what you do and get where you've got to post-operation and everything else is, is amazing. And I think maybe that's come from the fact that in the first place, and I think you touched on it, you know, you were a Marine. And so I, I wonder whether you could talk us through what you have to do to, to be a Marine because there's plenty of people that try to be under and, and never get there. 
So what did you have to do to, to give you wine back then to achieve that standard? So it's uh, the Royal Marines, 32 weeks of basic training, and it's um, considered one of the longest and hardest uh, in the UK and, and throughout the world. And um, it's it's tough, it's very physically tough, but the one thing I learned is, again, what you've just touched on is the mindset. It's all about, you know, getting someone who really wants to be there. So the first kind of 15 weeks of training, as physically fit as you have to be, a lot of it's um, just just putting up with playing the game. You know, there'll be, there'll be times when, you know, they're constantly tense, they're constantly testing the kind of your mental strength, if you like, and that kind of, can I be bothered doing this? They'd have you lined up and they'd say, right, you get a bottle of water, have to pour it over your head, and they'd say, right, lad, you got two minutes to get inside and be back out here. Now you try and get 60 guys ready, you know, inside, out of uh, dirty clothes, into fresh clothes, and back up, back outside, and within two minutes, it's impossible. So then suddenly, as the first couple come out and they get outside within two minutes, they have to then get in the pressure position while the rest of the lads come out. Suddenly you've been in the pressure position for 10 minutes while you're waiting for guys to come out and you're thinking, I can't be bothered with this. You know, I want to be back home. You know, this is pointless, it's stupid. And they're just constantly testing your resolve to think, are you going to quit? Are you going to quit? And I think throughout the 32 weeks, that, that's the biggest thing really that, that kind of has had an impact on me in life. You know, that kind of never quit. It's how much do you want it? How much are you going to keep fighting for it? And throughout the Marines, the, the physical tests get harder and harder, um, which is, finishes off with doing a 30 miler. You've got to run 30 miles across Dartmoor, carrying 50, 60 pounds worth of kit. That's your fourth and final commando test. So yeah, I mean, physically it is very tough, but I'd say without doubt, it's, it's more your mindset, it's more mm. your attitude in life. You're going to sit around and play the victim and moan, or you're just going to, you know, when life gets tough, when life is challenging, you're going to just, you know, right, say, come on, let's have it and, and have another go. So do you think because you found that place, if you like, mentally then, that that set you in good stead to, to get to what you've been to since? Yeah, it, without doubt, it's had a massive, massive impact on my attitude in life. But again, I think the, the biggest thing, which I always come back to, is, uh, is my mum passing away. Um, she passed away when I was 12. And I think that has just always put me on the path of, you know, life can't get much worse than this. Mm. So even when the Marines said, you know, 99.99% need not apply, that was the tagline. I was kind of turning up, not being cocky, but I thought, you know, it's not going to be as hard as losing my mum when I was 12. So, you know, and I've always kind of used that. And I think getting over losing my mum, and I think, again, I feel like I've had my worst day of my life. So anything else is, you know, it can't ever be that bad. And I, I think when you look at people in business or in, you know, you look at footballers, I think always the people who make it to the elite have always had those sacrifices and those really hardships growing up. And I don't think it's any coincidence. I think, you know, I, Hardship and adversity is, is a great recipe for for success. Yeah, just to bring you in, Phil. Uh, so, how how did you meet Andy, and how did you how did you come to a, a decision between you both to, to write the book? Well, I think first of all, we t we talk about Andy's injuries and, and the hardships. I, I went for a three minute run last night, and my knees killing. <laughs> so, I, I don't think we should make it all about Andy and his injuries. Um, but um, I, I met I, I worked for Liverpool FC for six years, um, and. The first three years was on the club website and I met Andy in 2012 actually when he'd been brought in to do his motivational speeches to the academy kids and the idea there was like with most things that, that he's brought in to do at businesses and, and conferences etc was some of these kids might have you know have a calf strain or, or, or even worse you know something that could potentially end their career at Liverpool but the idea was we're going to put this fella in front of them and he's going to explain what real hardships are like and, and how you bounce back and you know at first I knew I was going to do a piece on it and then I saw all the tweets and the Instagram posts you know you're talking the likes of Sergi Canos back then and you could see that they were really sincerely kind of 
moved by. Mm. Um, so we kept in touch. Uh, there was a documentary made about Andy, which was on ATV, called Paragon. And I was kind of close to that because it was one of the lads at LFC TV. Um, and then I think once Andy set, broke the record time at Wavertree, um, I was there. And it was something I've always wanted to do, was to write a book. And you know, there was this lad here who knew fairly well. Um, similar age maybe as well, you know, from the same city, same interests conceivably, you know, from the outside looking in, knowing him fairly well. So we kind of spoke about it and then we just cracked on really. Great stuff there uh, with uh, Phil and Andy. Uh, do check the book out. It's very, very good indeed. Uh, everything that's coming in advance says it's excellent. Listen, thank you very much indeed to them, to John and to Gareth for doing that and the conversation with Steve Martin. Thanks to Steve as well and Fuad and Amelia. It's been quite the cast of thousands. We like it that way here on Radio City Talk. We'll, uh, we'll be back with more of this sort of stuff next week. Sports Social Podcast Network.